Welcome to the Family Forum. Hey, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Ed Fallon with you folks. Um, Thanks for joining us today. uh, Labor Day week. Yeah, we call it an entire week around here because we are darn grateful for the work of the uh, labor movement and representing uh, folks who um, wouldn't have as fair a shake without the representation they get from labor. Uh, Certainly we wouldn't see uh, work limited to a 40-hour week, not that it always is. Uh, We also, of course, uh, wouldn't see a minimum wage. We'd probably see more child labor. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, child labor. Yeah, that one's coming back. Yeah, we've got a governor here in Iowa and in other parts of the country where, yeah, Child labor is unfortunately, uh, has not been relegated to uh, the history books like we thought it was. Anyway, I digress. Um, Hey, before I move on to the first uh, thing I want to talk about today, I want to say thanks to the Des Des Moines Irish session. I almost said Des Moines Irish session, which is very cute, right? Des Moines Irish session for the bumper music we use in this program. All right, so um, the hearings have begun. Uh, this is for the uh, for Summit, the big corporation that wants to build a carbon dioxide pipeline across multiple states, including oh seven almost 700 miles of it in Iowa. And uh, this company, of course, has partnered with some <laughs> some in, so some of those who are interested in uh, in perpetuating fossil fuel consumption, but the. Um, the hearing started August 22nd, and they are likely to go for at least a month, maybe more. Uh, the first two weeks of the hearings have involved a hearing from landowners who don't want their land condemned to build this thing. And again, that, that includes 950 parcels. And I think about 40 landowners probably testified the first two weeks. There may be more that uh, will testify later. Now the, um, now the whole thing shifts to hearing from Summit, the corporation, and why they feel this is a good idea. Um, I have not yet uh, gone in, on behalf of my, my, my representation with uh, Bold Iowa. Uh, I am uh, one of the, actually, we Bold, I was the first person approved as an intervener. And that means I can get to ask questions sometimes. Uh, in certain in certain circumstances, so I, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, with Summit coming up, uh, and their representatives and their witnesses being um, brought to testify before the Iowa Utilities Board, uh, there may be some there may be some good questions to be asked. Anyway, uh, the first two um, first two weeks have been interesting. I've been following it on the live stream, the Iowa Utilities Board's live stream. And um, I commend uh, some of the uh, some of some of the other media representatives there for doing a pretty good job at conveying what's going on, and uh, particularly like some of the coverage by Iowa Capital Dispatch. So um, a landowner in Cherokee County, Richard Davis. I'm kind of wondering if I met him during the uh, fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline, because again, a lot of a lot of people affected by these carbon dioxide pipelines were also uh, had their land taken for the Dakota Access Pipeline. And now they're going through a second assault just a few years later. It's, 
It's incredible that it's come to this. But anyway, here's Richard Davis um, testifying before the Iowa Utilities Board. And uh, he claims that uh, the Summit Pipeline Company's representative, the agent hired to convince him to sign on the dotted line, uh, pressured him explicitly with a threat of eminent domain during their negotiations about the project. So, um, you know, Davis's land, he's got four parcels in the path of the pipeline. His kids to grow corn, raise soybeans, raise cattle. And he says that a summit agent attempted to persuade him to sign voluntary easements, noting that if the company was forced uh, to have to use eminent domain, he would probably receive only a fraction of what the company had offered. Now, in my experience with DAPL, that actually is not a lie. But the fact that that's the case is horrific. You know, it, presumably the, the pipeline company is offering to pay for that easement what it's worth. And yet when it goes to the Compensation Commission, as it's called, a word about I worked on this when I was a legislator, and we and one thing we did was to strengthen the um, the landowners' rights before the county compensation commission, but apparently not enough because I know one case uh, with the Dakota Access Pipeline where a landowner was offered I can't remember the uh, I want to say it was close to a hundred thousand, and when they refused and uh, were forced to go to eminent domain, the county commission gave them about a tenth of that. So yeah, the, the, land, the, the, the land agent for the company might not be lying, but the fact that that's even the case is, is just so immoral, so wrong. And then the agent went on to tell Davis that um, he was certain that the company was going to go to eminent domain. Now, he has no right to say that. The utilities board is the entity that decides whether, you, whether eminent domain is appropriate. And they haven't done that yet, and they may not do that. And in my opinion, they should not do that. So for the land agent to um, to say that is extremely out of line, and also not inconsistent with what I experienced when I walked 400 miles from southeast Iowa to northwest Iowa back in 2015 along the path of the then proposed Dakota Access Pipeline. I met with landowners who were told that, uh, well, yeah, you better, you better settle with us because you will be taking you to eminent domain. Uh, that happened a lot. I heard a lot of landowners who told me that. And, it, and so many stories. I mean, there was one landowner who kind of played along with us. Okay, well, what are you going to give me if I, you know, what are you, you going to give me? What are you going to give me? You know, and I, and um, <laughs> this particular land agent offered this landowner um, access to teenage prostitutes if he would voluntarily sign an easement with the company. This is all documented, folks. This is documented, well, it's documented by this program. It's also documented in many other media outlets, uh, again, from about 20, from 2016. Incredible, but not, I mean, that, that was probably the most extreme example of pressure being applied by land agents with the Dakota Access Pipeline. But not. But again, I, I remember one guy I met. He finally signed because he got sick of being harangued by more than one land agent. He would tell me he would get as many as six calls a day, and he finally just got fed up and signed. 
you know. And then, and by the way, just as with the Dakota, just as with the Dakota Access Pipeline, Summit counts that as a voluntary easement. Voluntary because you feel you were pressured into signing. That's not a good endorsement. Um, you know, there's so many other examples. There, there's, there's, there was the uh, two brothers who um, both uh, staunchly opposed to the Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, the land agents couldn't quite convince them to sign, so they came up with a tactic. Send a different land agent to one brother and the other brother at the same time, and then tell them that the other brother had, had already signed at the same time. They did this. And the brothers were fooled. Well, they were lied into believing that the other brother had signed. So, well, if my brother signed, I guess I should as well. And one of them, when I spoke to him, when, when, when he found out that, uh, that he'd been lied to like that, when he was recounting the story, he's practically in tears. You know, this is a staunch, you know, Republican, lifetime Republican farmer. You know, and so I don't doubt what Davis was saying. And and uh, just to back that up, there was another uh, landowner uh, uh, quoted in this story by Iowa Capital Dispatch, uh, Verl Tate from Wright County. He testified, uh, and I quote, and the, the agent told him, quote, if you don't take this, then we'll probably go to eminent domain and you probably won't get much for your land. I, I mean, it's just, it is, it is immoral what is happening. The whole thing is immoral. This is... Eminent domain is the right for the government, the power of the government to take land for a public purpose. And I would argue that oftentimes that has been abused. Government has abused its ability to do that, its right to do that. But this is so far beyond that. And again, back in 1999, 2000, the, in 2006, the years that we worked on eminent domain legislation in Iowa, there was pretty much unanimous agreement that, no, eminent domain is for a public purpose. And the, and the haggling was over what type of public purpose qualified and also what kinds of rights and responsibilities did landowners have versus the government for who wanted to take the land. And again, I remember one big bone of contention was bike trails. Should the government be allowed to come in and, uh, and take land to build a bike trail? And uh, I mean, for the most part, the legislature decided, no, nah, that's going too far. <laughs> and so now we're so far beyond that. Now we are so far beyond that now that that, uh, that private companies, three of them in fact, Navigator, Summit, Wolf, are here in Iowa pressuring landowners to be able to take their land and use it to build this carbon dioxide pipeline or these pipelines. Again, a total of 2,000 miles of land just in Iowa would be crossed by these three pipeline companies. That does not include land in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, Illinois. You know, again, we're flyover country, so people on the coast might not be paying much attention to what's going on here. But it affects all of us because this is, this is a, a flagrant abuse of the right of, uh, to use eminent domain for a legitimate public purpose. We'll see what happens with the, um, with the continued uh, conversations at the Iowa Utilities Board. Yeah, I, again, I, 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 don't, I don't know where this is going to go. We'll see. Um, I'll, be, I'll be attending myself and hopefully get a chance to ask some questions. So also related to this problem, this, uh, this, this, uh, the, these pipelines, 
this is very interesting because um, there is an entity in Iowa government, and I think a lot of states, maybe all states, have some equivalent to what we call the Office of Consumer Advocate. This is a position. It's a four-year appointment, and it's somebody who is supposed to be there for the consumer, thus the name Consumer Advocate. And they advocate for the best interest of customers. In some cases, it's customers who um, you know, would, would be concerned about the utility bills being being you know driven up too high they, they question whether the big investor-owned utilities which are monopolies admit it they are monopolies they question whether for example they should be able to raise rates at a certain amount they, or they should be uh, able to be, be allowed to build a new coal-fired power plant and so the consumer advocate does some really important work well in um you know i don't like the name call but i i don't think we need to call our governor governor reynolds anymore we can just call her Queen Reynolds, okay? She is acting like a tyrant. And, I, I mean, I could, I could do an entire show on just the many ways in which she has begun to take control of all aspects of, the, of state government. Uh, and, I mean, it's, 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 it, it is the power of a dictator that she is acquiring. And just this case in point, Office of Consumer Advocate used to be a four-year appointment. Um, now it's been... You know, now it's been moved under the attorney general's office, and the attorney general um, is is a newly elected Republican, uh, Brenna Byrd, and um, you know, uh, I mean, Reynolds made it really clear during in the 2022 campaign when she was out supporting other Republicans. I mean, she has a right to do that. I get that, but what she said. Should have, um, should have made, should have made, should have made everybody's skin break out in goosebumps. She said, "Quote: I want my own attorney general, please." I'm sorry, Queen Reynolds, but the attorney general is a separate office. It's an independent office. It's there to hold you accountable. It's there to hold corporations and and other entities accountable. It's there for the people and the Office of Consumer Advocate. Even more so, even more so. And now, uh, because uh, the OCA, Office of Consumer Advocate, was moved under Brenna Byrd, the new, the new um, Attorney General's, you know, control, moved, moved under her control, uh, no longer is it a four-year term. Now, the head of, the, of that department, the, the Attorney General, can replace the Office of Consumer Advocate per, person anytime he or she wants. And so, you know, Ann Ryan, the, 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 the advocate, saw this coming, said, okay, I'm, I'm out, <laughs> I resign. And then she took work representing one of the landowners on the, on the, on the Summit Pipeline route, Carrie Hearth. Uh, she, she's actually the daughter of one of the affected landowners. And um, Ryan, who has no, you know, she, she, she's not, she has no proprietary information. She's out there representing her client. I mean, she she had this opinion before, as with when she was with the OCA, that this pipeline might not be a great idea, and now she's advocating for this woman. And of course, what is the attorney general's office doing? Trying to shut her down. And uh, the um, the new consumer advocate, a guy named Larry Zeman, who I presume I presume this guy is is related to the late Senator Mark Zeman from the same exact town. I mean, that, that's probably not a coincidence. Um, so he's trying to sue her, try, trying to trying to take legal action to get her disqualified from participating in the hearings. Um, and again, 
Brenna Burr, the Attorney General, can replace the consumer advocate anytime she wants. So what kind of, that's, that's no longer a watchdog position. That's a lapdog, a laptog to the Attorney General, to the governor, to Queen Reynolds. And so, you know, and, and remember, now, who was Bird? Okay, Brenna Bird. She was employed by the LS2 group. Uh, it's, it's a, this is a lobbying firm. And by the way, this lobbying firm has um, both Democrats and Republicans working for it. And almost always, nearly everything they do is something I disagree with. And one of the one of the one of the things they do is represent Summit. <laughs> so they were they were lobbying for Summit. They were lobbying for this very project. You know, maybe not directly, but indirectly for all of Summit's uh, Summit's um, concerns and, and some of the other groups that also are represented by LS2, Alliant Energy. You know, again, the big investor-owned utility, AT and T, Energy Transfer. That's the parent company of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, so, you know, that's where she came from. She's now the attorney general. Big corporate lobbyist now is our attorney general. Of course she's going to want to get rid of the Office of Consumer Advocate. Come on. All right. Um, yeah, anyway, there, I, I've got more to talk about this. i got to run to a break, folks. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this when we come back. i got a little bit more to say about the governor's role in all of this. And then I'm going to be talking about water. Uh, we talked about water last week. We're going to be talking about it again there's some new stuff out there, and it's an important conversation. Ed Fallon with you, folks, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Farm. Hey, thanks to the Catholic Peace Ministry. That's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. Catholic Peace Ministry, or CPM, focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, Ed Fallon, back with you, folks. Hey, before, I want to move on to a conversation about water. But again, i got to add one more thing about this pipeline situation. Um, I mean, uh, Governor Reynolds, again, I'm 
queen. I mean, she, she, she is grabbing so much power. She has become or is in the process of becoming a dictator. She claims without any, <laughs> I mean, without any believability that the whole, um, the whole process of these pi- uh, this, uh, this pipeline situation, that she's not influenced it. I mean, she, she meticulously avoids giving a position publicly. Uh, it's really clear what's happening behind the scenes. You know, she, um, I mean, I mean she, she dumped two members of the Iowa Utilities Board and replaced, replaced them with, well, one of them is a uh, former state legislator. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is all you got to do is follow the money. Let me take you a step back uh, with the Dakota Access Pipeline. You know, again, these, these people, these political insiders, these lifetime political operatives who get filthy rich off this process, and again, part of that process is helping out their rich buddies, you know, they're good about covering their tracks. But I had a very interesting conversation. I mean, walking is a great way to meet people. <laughs> and so I'm walking along, and I meet a guy who's really, really active in the Republican Party. Uh, and he knew, he, could, he told me that uh, Terry Branstad had gone down to Texas for an event with Kelsey Warren. Again, Kelsey Warren, the um, head, the CEO of Energy Transfer, the, the company that built the Dakota Access Pipeline. On his board, on Energy Transfer's board, Rick Perry, former Texas Governor Rick Perry, on the board. Uh, and at that time, running for president and seen as a very possible, you know, succeeder here in Iowa, during the Iowa caucuses. Anyway, so um, Kelsey Warren gives Rick Perry a bunch of money. Rick Perry gives a bunch of that to Terry Branstead, which helps him in Iowa. Terry Branstead, who really doesn't need it in 2014. I, I'm sorry, Jack Hatch. I mean, Jack Hatch, great guy. He had kind of been abandoned by the Democratic Party and wasn't going to be Terry Branstead. But anyway, Branstead, you know, took the money and doled it out to his pals in the legislature, the legislative leaders in the Republican legislature. So, you know, you see how this works, right? Boom, you know, there's a pipeline, no pun intended here, that leads to, you know, a governor bought and paid for by the pipeline company and legislative leaders who are committed to not taking any action, in this case, on eminent domain to make sure it didn't happen. Well, you know, and again, to those who got fooled in thinking somehow Donald Trump was going to be helpful when it came to uh, protecting their land from eminent domain? No. Trump is extremely invested in the Dakota Access Pipeline. Warren, Kelsey Warren, again, donated 103000 to Donald Trump and then continued to give more and more. Uh, Trump himself has invested somewhere between a half a million and a million in the Dakota Access Pipeline and also similar amounts uh, to Phillips 66. Phillips 66 is that old company that, that has a 25% stake in Dapple. So again, you know, you, you, can, you can dig in, and there are groups that are really good at digging in and finding these connections. And once those connections are exposed, you should know that the fix is in. So <laughs> Bruce Rastetter, he's the head of Summit, and he, um, he has donated generously to Governor Reynolds. And... Um, you know, there are some legislators, even Republicans, who are not afraid to say, hey, this is what's going on. So here's Jeff Shipley. He's a Republican from Birmingham, Iowa. Birmingham is down in uh, Van Buren County, south of Fairfield. And it's not, um, 
It's not far off from where uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline went and where the Navigator Pipeline would go as well, if it is approved. So Shipley says, quote, how much money did Bruce Rastetter give to the governor? Well, there are a lot of people that bend over for money. They bend over so much, sometimes I'm surprised they can still walk. Correction. He said that not just about the governor so much, as about other legislators. And so, yeah, a lot of legislators got a lot of money from Rastetter. And so, of course, you had a, an eminent domain bill passes the Iowa House, and it passes overwhelmingly, 21 no votes, uh, half of them Democrats, because <laughs> the Democratic Party is clueless, half of them Republicans. Again, probably because those are the Republicans that were, you know, most cozy with the money from Rastetter, but didn't bother Rastetter that it, that it passed the House. The, port, the important thing was that when it got to the Senate, the uh, chair of the committee that was assigned the bill killed it. And that is a guy who, um, Mike Busolo, a Republican from Ankeny, who um, used to work for Summit. Oh, what a fun, what, a, what an amazing coincidence that he used to work for Summit. Not a coincidence. He was assigned that bill because he would kill it. And also, just for the heck of it, it's important to note that Rastetter gave him five grand. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I don't know how, I, I, here's two things I don't understand. I don't know how anybody in rural Iowa, or rural America for that matter, who sees what's happening with property rights can vote for a Republican. Again, I also don't see how anybody in rural Iowa was, is going to have much confidence the Democratic Party is going to do much better. I, I mean, I, 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 I sent an email to a handful of Democratic leaders the other day, and uh, it was in response to lack of action on the, Dakota, on the uh, carbon dioxide pipelines. And one of them wrote back, and I commend this person for writing back, saying, Hey, we have taken action. We wrote a letter to the IUB. Several of us wrote a letter to the Iowa Utilities Board. And I said, well, whoop-de-doo, congratulations on graduating from kindergarten. Now take serious action. I mean, that's great. Complaining about it to the IUB, okay. You know, Democrats, if they understood what was going on, if they really cared, if they weren't going to be cowered by the building trades or by the fact that, you know, former Governor Vilsack's son is the attorney for, for Summit, um, they would be out there fighting this left and right. Again, the fix is in. Both parties are bought and paid for on this. And uh, does that mean you should give up? Absolutely not. You should keep fighting because, you know, again, 80% of Iowans know this is wrong. The important thing is we need to continue to spread the word about what's really happening and why this is so wrong uh, on, on a property rights level, on a public safety level. And if you want to worry, if you want to see it, you know, learn about that. Check out what happened in Satarshi, Mississippi, a few years ago, on a on a on a, an environmental record, and on a climate record, because this is not a climate solution. This is absolutely not any kind of a solution to the climate crisis. So, anyway, um, beyond that, I want to look at a Guardian story about, um, and the headline kind of says it all. Quote, extreme weather is smacking us in the face with worse to come, but a tiny window of hope remains, say leading climate scientists. This is the story in which The Guardian interviewed 45 key climate scientists around the world. And, uh, you know, 
it, 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 it talks about water and how water is becoming increasingly problematic in terms of uh, cleanliness, in terms of uh, availability, in terms of reliability. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and a little aside here, um, a local publication that I respect, but sometimes runs stories that make me scratch my head. We have a major water crisis happening here in Iowa right now. Uh, a bunch of the state is under, I think all the state is under some level of drought, some under very severe levels of drought. And um, our major water source in Des Moines is the Raccoon River, which is also one of the top 10 most polluted waterways in the country. But the Raccoon River is also running dry. And if you go upstream, northwest, before it gets to Des Moines, it's pretty darn dry. You can walk across it. And so this story uh, talks about, well, uh, this is really a problem because um, canoe outfitters are having a hard time uh, staying in business. In fact, this very prominent uh, outfitter is going out of business because they can't, uh, they, 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 can't, they can't outfit people to canoe on a river that's not there. Okay, I get that, but that's your biggest concern? <laughs> I mean, canoeing would be my you know, least worry if, um, if I understood that I might not be able to have enough water to drink. Anyway, <laughs> and maybe this is why, again, back to the uh, Guardian's headline, this is why, with, even though extreme weather is smacking us in the face, we still seem to be inclined to continue to do more and more of the wrong stuff. Okay, so you got record-shattering heat waves, wildfires, uh, floods, ruining communities in the U.S., Europe, India, China, all over the place. Uh and, you know, 2023 has indeed, and we're only, what, two-thirds of the way, three-fourths of the way through, something like that. It's already um, been a, an astounding year. And yet, um, you know, quote, quote, again, quoting the article, humanity's relentless carbon emissions have finally pushed the climate crisis into a new and accelerating phase of destruction. And um, the, the fact that we still even debate this stuff is just incredible to me. Um, yeah, I just, we, we've got a tiny window of opportunity here, according to these scientists who were, who were interviewed in this story, a tiny window. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't, I don't know why everybody isn't like up in arms and doing everything they can. Yeah. And then we come to Burning Man. <laughs> so, you know, again, Burning Man was established as this great countercultural thing years ago. Um, but it has become the um, annual pilgrimage of, I mean, there, there's, still, there, there's still maybe your hippie element there, you know. But um, 80,000 people every year find their way out of the uh, Nevada desert. Um, sometimes um, some of them in, you know, hauling trailers, some in RVs, um, some um, in luxury RVs. And uh, apparently Burning Man generates about 100,000 tons of carbon dioxide. This is uh, for what about a week of fun. Um, that's more. That's the equivalent of twenty-two thousand gas-powered cars. So there were some climate activists who thought maybe this Burning Man needs to be challenged. Again, this is, you know, we we understand what's happening. The, the scientists are telling us what's happening. We know it's urgent, and yet we continue to do these things that just make it worse. And this is like totally about fun. You could argue. I mean, Burning Man argues. The the organizers argue. We are the we are the, um, we're the best example out there of, some, of, an, of a festival trying to do it responsibly. 
Climate activists uh, saw, you know, maybe, maybe they really aren't doing it responsibly. So climate activists blocked the road entering, uh, entering um, Burning Man. And there is only one road in there. <laughs> and uh, I believe it's a, just a two-lane two road, too. And so um, there was a bumper-to-bumper traffic jam. It lasted for over an hour. Oh, yeah, and protesters were, their, their specific demands were that, that Burning Man ban private jets because, incredibly, big rich people <laughs> are jetting to Burning Man. Uh, they all, the, the, the activists also wanted Burning Man to commit to banning single-use plastics, and they also wanted them to um, limit the use of generators and propane tanks. And so, to because that didn't happen, activists, uh, four of them, chained themselves to a trailer that blocked the road, and they locked their arms through PVC pipes. And uh, at first, apparently, uh, people in the cars coming to Burning Man thought they thought it was a, a traffic accident, maybe somebody was hurt. And when they um, when they found out what was going on, uh, one of them, uh, a woman named Molly, and this is quoted in the in a Guardian story. story Quote, they're delusional, it's idiocy. They think they're going to fix climate change by blocking Burning Man. I don't care what their argument is. They can go F themselves. So um, <laughs> there were lots of responses like that. And uh, what happened was pretty incredible. The, um, the uh, local law enforcement drove through the barricade and then pulled guns on the four peaceful, nonviolent organizers threatening to shoot them. Uh, the video, I've, I've posted it in various places. That's out there. Check it out. It is an example of police response. It's, it's extreme and uncalled for. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from a short break because, um, yeah, there's a, there's a growing pressure uh, across the world, in fact, certainly in the U.S., to treat environmental protesters as terrorists. And it's, um, it's out of line, out of hand. And we'll talk about it when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org.
Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so uh, we were talking about um, the protest at Burning Man. Again, I, I, I go a lot of different places for my news, and I probably the one I like the best is The Guardian, which, you know, in theory might surprise you or might even surprise me a little bit because they're a big paper, a big publication. But they really have made a commitment to doing some excellent um, digging into some of the stuff that the mainstream media tends to ignore. So here's a, a story by Nina Lacani from a couple, uh, about a week and a half ago. And uh, she writes, arresting climate and environmental activists is so widespread that it's almost become routine, applauded even, as governments and corporations label those who block roads, disrupt shareholder meetings, and throw confetti at tennis matches as radical lawbreakers. But jailing ordinary people trying to stop the destruction of the planet while the industries responsible keep profiteering and elected officials keep letting them isn't normal or accidental. Okay, so you see her bias there, and her bias is the same as mine. <laughs> I, I, so she goes on to talk about um, what she sees as the, um, the, the, one of the earlier examples of government overreach in terms of cracking down on nonviolent protest. She talks about going back to the little town of uh, San Miguel Itzacan. It's a rural community in the uh, mountains of Guatemala. And about, about 15 years ago, there was an indigenous-led opposition to a Canadian, Canadian company, a gold and, gold and silver mining company. Uh, they came down there. And of course, they had pals in the state government, in, in, the, uh, in the Guatemalan government. And uh, they were able to help weaponize the legal system against environmental defenders. So a grandmother, uh, Petrocinia Mejica, she, she was 63 years old at the time. She was among many community members who were kind of you know, targeted with what seemed to be very arbitrary criminal charges. And, uh, you know, for protesting the Canadian mine company. And, you know, I mean... You know, pat on the back to the Canadian mine company, the weaponization of the legal system was effective. And a quote from from uh, from Patrocinia, quote, we were so scared of being captured that we didn't hold our meetings anymore, and I was too afraid to show my face at protests. So, now, today, this is what, 15 years later, uh, it's been six years since the mine was closed. So again, Canadians came, they opened this mine, they, 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 you know, against the will of the indigenous people who lived there, and now it's already closed. But I imagine, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that it's closed and there's plenty of environmental you know, degradation left behind. So, you know, again, there's so many examples of, of, of this, it's hard to know where to start, but, um, you know, I, 
I, I can tell you about here in Iowa, we had a, that the, 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 law, the law that was being proposed by the American Legislative Exchange Council all across the country to um, declare oil pipelines and other fossil fuel projects as, quote, critical infrastructure, those bills were being passed all across the country. Now, Iowa, despite the fact that we've gone pretty hardcore one direction politically, we were able to to defeat that bill here, or at least, um, I mean, what passed was pretty minimal. It uh, it did define critical infrastructure, but it didn't um, allow for the weaponization of law enforcement. That's good, but of course, um, the proponents of the Dakota Access Pipeline found ways around that. Um, one thing they did, they um, they hired a firm called Tiger Swan, and uh, I don't know whether Tiger Swan contract subcontracted out this particular quote service or did it themselves, but there was um, a video produced, and it was called Iowa Beware, because uh, Native people here in Iowa who I I worked with to help them set up this camp. They they set up a, a native camp in eastern Iowa. It wasn't anything like Standing Rock. It was a small place uh, intended to be a place of um, retreat and organizing, uh, yes, in, in opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. But the, um, the video that was put out by this hit group hired by the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, made it seem like this camp was going to become lawless and violent and... Uh, and it showed, it showed the worst possible images from Standing Rock. Cop cars being jumped on. Uh, I mean, just it, it, it just it, it just totally biased the local population. And again, it, it, they started putting it out on Facebook, and it just went viral locally in just the just the just the communities around this camp. It's called Little Creek Camp. And as a result. When about 30 of us marched from Little Creek Camp to Des Moines, about 85 miles, took about eight days to do it, we were met with incredible hostility, incredible hostility. So, you know, sometimes the, op- sometimes the, 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 the entities behind condemning land for fossil fuel projects don't have to uh, weaponize law enforcement. They can just weaponize the public. They can get the public so upset uh, through lies, through misinformation, through distortions, uh, that um, that you know that people will just go to their own uh, lengths of trying to uh, prevent something from happening, and that's what happened. As we began to march from uh, Little Creek Camp to a little town called Deep River, uh, cars would buzz us on the road. People would flip us off. Uh, there were Facebook posts saying it was um, it was hunting season, um, that we should be targeted. Uh, that, um, you know, I, I, there, there were lots of expletives that I can't say on an FCC-regulated regulated station, I, that I can't say those, that were used against us. And we got to this camp, and there, were Confederate, there was a Confederate flag flying <laughs> next to an American flag. I, I know that just seems incongruous, but, but the, um, uh, you know, people were, uh, were hostile. They, were, they, they didn't come to visit us. They were just, you could see them off to the distance and they looked like they were just uh, really unhappy. And then um, we heard uh, what sounded like gunshots. Apparently they were very large fire, fireworks going off. Um, and people were really, I mean, we were really concerned. We were really concerned and we were tired. We'd walked 15 miles. We went to bed 
at 8, maybe 8.30, I can't remember. It was early. Uh, and the next day, you know, the local guy who put up the uh, flags came over and apologized. He said, you know, he, um, he, he'd been seeing what was on Facebook. He saw the, um, the video that this company had published. Uh, you know, he, they were afraid we were going to be dumping raw sewage in the ditch. We were going to be burning flags. We were going to be all kinds of lawlessness and obnoxious. And here we were, in bed by 8.30. <laughs> and we were quiet. We were polite. We didn't do anything uh, that was disruptive at all. And uh, that started a conversation that uh, I still have with this guy. Um, and we, uh, he and his wife and others came to our potluck the next night in Montezuma. And, um, and we still keep in touch. There was a film done, by, done about this encounter uh, called Crossing the Divide. Uh, Ralph King produced this 15-minute uh, this documentary. Well worth watching. A really good reminder of two things. One, that the, not just the legal system, but social media is weaponized against nonviolent protesters. And two, that there's a way out of that through reaching beyond your comfort zone. You know, and in the case of, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the case, in this example here, it wasn't me or somebody from our march that reached out to kind of begin to build, you know, build that bridge to kind of dismiss, dispel the, uh, the, the false claims being made. It was the landowner. It was the guy who lived next to the park who had originally put up the Confederate and the American flag and tried to intimidate us until he realized, hey, these people aren't so bad. They're in bed before I am. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's just my own, one of my many examples of, um, of how, you know, the system is, is weaponized. Uh, and uh, here's another one, just from just north of us, Minnesota. So, so take the case of Line 3. Um, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the tar sands oil pipeline proposed, well, it may have been, I, I can't remember the current status of it, but it's a, uh, we go through um, northern Minnesota. Um, the local Ojibwe nation is very much against it. A lot of other people are very, very strongly against it. It's by uh, another Canadian company, Enbridge, who have a horrible environmental record. And um, they basically helped weaponize Minnesota law enforcement. And it helped to reportedly, um, and it's, it's probably true, they, <laughs> the Minnesota law enforcement received $8.6 in payments from the Canadian pipeline company. And uh, that law enforcement agent, those agencies, those various agencies, made a thousand arrests over the course of a year. And uh, there were 967 criminal charges filed, including um, several people who were charged under Minnesota's new critical infrastructure protection law, the same law I was just talking about, which fortunately in Iowa we were, we were lucky enough to um, be able to... Um, to limit. So under the infrastructure protection law, a bunch of people were, um, were charged with excessive, uh, excessive crimes. Anyway, I, I, you know, there's, there's more to be said about this. Um, I will say there's a flip side and I've experienced the flip side personally. Um, when I was arrested along with a landowner in rural, uh, rural uh, Iowa, um, I'm, I'm well known in Iowa. I've got a long record. Most people like me, I think. Uh, <laughs> and so when the sheriff arrested me and a landowner on her property in uh, 
Calhoun County back in 2017, I wasn't even handcuffed. I was just, I, I, I sat in the front of the car. We, we drove 30 miles to the nearest county jail. I sat in the front of the car unhandcuffed, talking to the uh, sheriff about various and sundry. I think a lot of it about sports. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's this kit glove treatment for certain people. And yeah, I happened to be one of them that day. And uh, at the same time that I was being given kit glove treatment, I was aware that there were Native people in North Dakota being sprayed with fire hoses, being, uh, being attacked by dogs. There's one photograph of an attack dog with blood in its mouth from having bitten a protester. There are those... I can't remember what they're called now, those sound, machine, sound machines that they turn up that, uh, that can actually damage your hearing. So, yeah, I mean, not only, I mean, the tactics being used against protesters are worse than they ever have, ever have been. And the, the sentences, again, thanks to a lot of these, these um, uh, pipeline infrastructure, these critical infrastructure laws are, you know, more and more serious. Um, you know, someone else who kind of kind of has been treated with kit gloves, uh, Greta Thunberg. Uh, she's got, you know, she's been charged twice or detained twice, I should say, by police. Once in Oslo during a demonstration against wind farms on indigenous people's land. I know you think, oh, wind farms, friendly for the environment. Well, if they're being placed on the land of people who don't want them, that's an issue. She protested those and... Um, was detained but not arrested. She was also detained at a protest in Germany against the demolition of a village to make way for a coal mine. Well, she finally got arrested. <laughs> this was uh, two months ago. She was charged with ref refusing to obey police orders during an anti-oil protest at a Swedish port, the city of Malmo. And uh, she was uh, required to go to court and she went to court uh, late July. And at her trial, she was uh, found guilty and fined 240 bucks. <laughs> I don't know whether she's paid it or not. Uh, I would not be surprised if she hadn't paid it. She wrote um, uh, the day after the, um, the uh, trial, she wrote on an Instagram post that uh, she joined the protest at the, because the climate crisis was, quote, already a matter of life and death for countless people. We choose to not be bystanders and instead physically stop the fossil fuel infrastructure. Most interesting to me is after her trial and her fine of 240 bucks, she went back to the same site and was arrested again. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. Uh, desperate times call for desperate tactics. And as we, again, harking back, you know, back to the uh, 45 scientists interviewed in the Guardian story, we're at we're at a very, very, uh, we're at an incredibly serious point in this battle against changing our climate beyond the point where we can we can adapt. So, but there's good news on the horizon because we're going to move from this to a conversation about gardening, answering questions relevant to gardening in, in September. And again, gardening is more and more important as we think about how we can mitigate the losses we're seeing. Uh, because of the climate crisis. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford 
and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks again to our sponsors, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Central Iowa's premier good food store, and they bring together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, Kathy Burns is with me, folks, and we are talking about, well, we do every month, the first program of the month, we answer garden Q&A. That's because people have questions, and we have a couple of answers. Even in December, we do garden Q&A. We do, because there's no end to the <laughs> cycle. no end of it. If you eat every day, you probably should be thinking about food every day. Yeah. And where it comes from. Yes. Not just the store. So I saw this, uh, this question from a first-year gardener in Zone 5, which is like central U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were, and uh, they say that they lost about 50% of their plants to disease or something random. Did not buy fancy seeds. Half of them came from random stores, and they obviously and they they obviously have learned a ton. I hope so. Um, is it typical to lose that much just starting out? I keep I keep getting down on myself, but then keep thinking, how else was I supposed to learn? Well, first of all, great big hug to this first year <laughs> gardener. There are so many people out there that are new to gardening, and and that just keeps happening every year so many I'm new to gardening I'm new to gardening and that's the way it should go so yes it's typical to start out poorly and improve as you go and some people maybe research for three years and don't start growing food till they think they know everything and then they start and then they still have things go a little bit poorly so you're doing great well we still have things that don't work out and we've been doing this for Mm -hmm. collectively almost a century Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a good idea to keep a little garden journal uh start that this year just write down what you liked what you didn't some things you want to focus on for next year also as far as buying seeds from random stores that's something you can avoid next time um seeds and soil are your number one concerns going into a new season so find a good reputable source for both and uh, we hope start to make your own soil yeah. with compost. Another question I see here. Newer gardener, central Iowa, what can I plant now? I pulled some old things out and have lots of space to plant new. I planted spinach yesterday but have a lot more room. Well, I hope that they are doing better on spinach than we are this year. Spinach is not our lucky crop this year, and we love it. Sometimes it is. We, I know. We love it so much. But, yes, you can grow greens, spinach, lettuce, arugula, radishes, maybe even some 
peas, maybe there'd be time for a fall crop of peas because of the extended seasons that we're seeing? My, for me, the best, the most successful crop to grow in the fall is turnips. Turnips. And I know that means you have to too. eat turnips. Yeah, but but I mean carrots do pretty well too. That's true. Yeah. I didn't I didn't yeah. include the root crops. Yeah. I think you know even part, beets. And I think one reason our, our we we planted uh, we planted our fall garden early this year, mm-hmm. late July, and I think that was given some of the really hot weather we've had, including right now this week. I think that was too hot for the spinach. Well, who saw it coming? It's in the nineties still right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, also because this is a first your gardener um, start to keep that journal pay attention now to what you've planted where and um, think about how you're going to rotate your crops in the coming years so there's a pumpkin question yeah uh, my pumpkins are orange yay but my <laughs> vines are dead 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 I just had mm-hmm. to pull them all best way to keep them good until Halloween well um, winter squash are um, kind of particular they'll taste better and store better if you, and a pumpkin is a winter squash. a pumpkin is yeah. a winter squash the hard the hard squash and uh, they'll just do a little bit better so some information that was really good I thought from uh, South Dakota State University extension check first to see, to make sure that you're harvesting them when they're ripe they don't always you know, they're, they're not always ripe when they look ripe. So the hardness of the shell is a good indicator. If your thumbnail cannot really mm. easily push into the um, the flesh, then then it might be, it's a pretty good idea it's ripe. So um, also the color of fully ripe fruit will have that nice color, like a bright orange for a pumpkin. But the flesh should have dulled a little mm. from when it was a shiny and thickened a little bit too should thickened be, yeah. a little bit yeah but what saddens me about that question is it sounds like she's just well they maybe mm-hmm. are just going to cut them up at halloween um, well <laughs> if they're growing them for halloween I know. that's fine but try pie pumpkins yeah. in another spot next sure. year Put in some pie pumpkins. Well, and what and you'll do you think, Kenny? Yeah, the dead, dead, dead part. Uh, the, um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, guessing powdery mildew. Powdery mildew. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing powdery mildew. Or maybe some squash bugs. Yeah, maybe that could combo be a, pack. It could be a combo. Yeah, but powdery mildew. That's the one. One thing you can do about that is uh, mix milk with water and spray it on there in full sunlight. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little dish soap in there too. Yeah, kind so of it an sticks better. Soap thing. So um, another question. Ha! Anyone growing okra? I have about 15 plants. Harvest on a two-day frequency. Um, they get big fast, and uh, ours are seven or eight, seven feet tall. Well, I mean the fruits. Oh, the too. fruits, yeah, yes. Yeah. The plants are taller the than plants me. Plants are. T- I know <laughs> they. They always get really tall. Uh, yes, harvest. If you have more harvest than you can use right now, we have had a lot of success with just freezing whole okra. Just give them a rinse and dry them and freeze them in a baggie, and Easy to you do. should be able to use them in your soups and things. Yeah. Hey, one last question from Missouri Valley, Iowa. Love it when you work all summer for your harvest and thieves can take it all in one night. R.I.P. Peach season harvest. Ouch. Ouch. Peaches. It was humans, not raccoons. Yes. Well, this is a good reason that cities should be investing time and effort and even resources in um, foodscaping in their city. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us, and mm-hmm. thanks to our production team, including Kathy, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. And thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music, 
Back next week, folks, with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.